Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angels Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Angels Envy bends the rules. It's a little different from all the other bourbons out there because Angels Envy is the pioneer of secondary finishing in bourbon. Angels Envy is finished in port barrels, which adds a layer of complexity to the whiskey and gives it a unique and approachable flavor. Plus, Angels Envy is one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. And whether it's for someone special or to bring to a housewarming party, Angels Envy makes the perfect gift. These angels are so, they have so much envy with its unique bottle design. Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024. Angels Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Do you guys ever have a dream that... <laughs> uh... Hey, get, Actually, what? yeah, I have had that. <laughs> have you? Love it. <laughs> have you had such a thing happen to you? Great job setting up this, <laughs> this, this opening of the show banter. I, I had a dream about something called, in the dream, the Sophic Token. And the Sophic Token is a tiny blue elephant. And if you stare into its eyes, you become attracted to women. That is what happened to me. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, you I was at like a knickknack shop. There was like an, an old I mean, wise the man. elephant table. Yeah, I was like, what's this? <laughs> hey, can I borrow that token sometime? Yeah, but it was too, I wouldn't buy it. You just look at it once when you get to oh, buy, look at it over and over again. <laughs> Whoa. You only need the one. Right, that's why, yeah. You pass make. it on. It's a terrible got business. got a token library. Ooh. Yeah. And we're back. I'm here with Brian, Sarah, Hallie. Hi. Woo! Hello. <laughs> now, before we started, uh, Sarah Lazarus turned to all of us and said, you ever have a dream that just fucks up your whole day? <laughs> How you doing? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. What a weekday. Vivek Ramaswamy, or what happens when an end-user license agreement becomes a person, appeared to broadcast himself taking a pee after he forgot to mute his mic during an X-Space conversation with Elon Musk, Alex Jones, Andrew Tate, Matt Gates, and other luminaries with over 100,000 listeners. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here it is. I'm super pro-human, and I mean all humans. Uh... You know, humans in America, humans in Somebody's Africa, got their thing Asia, open. And everywhere Somebody's else. Somebody's got their phone open in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Vivek. Vivek, that's, that's your phone, Vivek. I'm not able to mute you. Vivek. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Elon. Um, Sorry about that. So, um, <laughs> well, I hope you feel better. I now. feel great. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, Yuck. There's something about the forced jocularity of the whole thing that makes me really uncomfortable. It's funny Elon can't mute him. Like I, I can mute anyone on a Zoom that I'm, I own. Well, but this is um, this is on X. I don't think anything works. Nothing works. I'd rather hear Vivek Ramaswamy pee than hear Elon Musk talk. Right? Like if that was just pissing, that would be way better. Yeah, I do like opinion. the thing that it interrupted was. Yes. I'm pro-human. <laughs> all humans. Humans you in America. That, <laughs> if you're saying that, no, you aren't. Like I'll tell you that right now. It's like that. That is. That's not a, a human thing to say. It's um. Yeah, the saying "I'm pro-human" is like. It's a defensive and kind of like pious response to a fair criticism that he's not addressing. You know, it's like if you you're you you have your kind of um, provincial views of what I'm doing, which is that it is perhaps bad to turn Twitter back into a sewer where Alex Jones and Matt Gates and all these freaks run rampant and 
no one else really feels welcome or safe or has any desire to be there. But I'm doing it because I'm pro-human. Well, it's like when you said the uh, all the CEOs that stopped uh, advertising on X would hear about it from the planet Earth. Yeah, from the planet <laughs> Earth. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to call. I don't think they are, yeah. There's also a way in which calling people humans is like the tech guy version of calling women females. Yeah. Yes. A little bit off. Yeah, yeah. like, well, yeah. What, are you, what are you trying to say? What does that mean? The piss call marked a special event, Elon Musk's decision to allow right-wing conspiracy theorist Alex Jones back onto his personal social media platform. And I, for one, am happy to hear it. Before this, if you wanted to hear what Alex Jones had to say, you had to hold a toilet up to your ear like a seashell. (laughs) (laughs) On Thursday, a woman in Texas named Kate Cox sued the state to obtain an abortion after learning that her fetus had a fatal genetic condition. Because when something's gone wrong in your pregnancy, there should only be one thing on your mind, and that's healing. I'm sorry, I misspoke. And that's debating a right-wing attorney general. The Texas abortion man says abortions can be performed in cases where the patient's life would be threatened. But Cox fell short of that standard. Carrying the fetus to term probably wouldn't kill her, but it could render her unable to have more children. What's the point of treating women like baby factories if you don't even let them keep the baby machines in good working order? What's the factory supposed to do now? Get turned into lofts? No one can even afford those. I've lost control of (laughs) A Texas judge subsequently granted a temporary restraining order to allow Cox to obtain an abortion, but late Friday, the Texas Supreme Court blocked that ruling. Cox, unable to wait any longer, fled Texas to seek care. And on Monday, the Texas Supreme Court officially ruled against her. The reason, the court explained, is that Cox didn't need a court order to qualify for an abortion. She simply needed to be at risk of death. In other words, if you live in Texas and you think you might want to get an abortion, you have to buy a Cybertruck and slam a Panera lemonade. (laughs) The logic of this ruling is wild. If you are alive enough to ask for help, you're not dead enough to need it. Meanwhile, jealous of how cruel Texas has become, Missouri Republicans are proposing that women who seek abortion care be charged with murder. You know what they say, Missouri loves company. The company in this case (laughs) is run by Dog the Bounty Hunter and he makes money chasing women down on his ATVs as they flee across the border. As women across the country face the grim legal body horror reality of life under Republican rule, an unfolding case in Ohio has drawn new attention. Police in Warren County charged a woman named Brittany Watts with a felony after she miscarried at 22 weeks. At 21 weeks, she was told by a doctor that her pregnancy was not viable and she would miscarry. So why was she charged? Well, she experienced an awful but common occurrence. She miscarried while on the toilet. She then went to the hospital where she experienced life-threatening complications. Police then removed the toilet from her home, chiseled it open in order to find the remains of her non-viable fetus, and charged Watts with desecrating a corpse. This is why I became a cop, said a cop, who calls women females and has a thin blue line flag on his extremely unsuccessful hinge profile. Man, this is a tough week for news. I gotta comedy, say, comedy, we're doing it. Tough country. Tough country. It makes me really fucking mad. It makes you really it makes mad. Me really fucking mad. It makes you really mad. Mad enough to vote for Joe Biden? Sure. Let's keep going. <laughs> I have to ask, what twice? Was she, twice. <laughs> I have to ask, what was she supposed to do? What was Brittany Watts supposed to do? Even if Watts overcame her blood loss and trauma, crouched down and managed to find the fetal remains, what then? Bring a fetus into the hospital and be like, one fetus funeral, please? If you, like me, are truly baffled, maybe Warren Municipal Court Judge Terry Ivanchek can tell you why he sent this to a grand jury. His work phone number is 330-841-2525. That these women have to go to court and address these fucking monsters as your honor, like, I would, like, break the fuck down. Like, I want to lunge at their little scrawny 
I'm really mad. Sorry. What's problem with the like this used to like a problem with like every group in this country where it's like in there are people who could hear these details and are so horrified and be like this shouldn't happen and there are people who could hear this and are so completely unmoved. And it's like, well, how do you broach, like, how do you bridge that gap? The idea that you could be a judge and, and hear these details and be like, yes, this is a matter for the courts. I, I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine reaching, like, how do you reach that person who's already at that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we need to reach those people because these issues, these are 80, 20, 90, 10 issues. Like, this is not, Republicans are not in favor of this. The vast majority of Republicans are not in favor of this. The, the, the trick is all the Republicans who were fighting so hard to overturn Roe v. Wade called all the experts and lawyers and providers and uh, protesters like hysterical, like uh, uh, hyperbolic when they said this is what the future would be. Then it happens. And then they just hope everybody acclimatizes to living under these conditions, that it goes from unacceptable, impossible, imaginary to normal before we have a chance to to fight back. On the other hand, we're us- we're going to usher in a, a new era of abortion jokes just because that's literally going to be everything in the news all the time. Yay. Hey, yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, Lazarus, I wonder why you're having bad dreams. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> Special counsel Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court to fast track a ruling on Donald Trump's claim that he's immune from prosecution as a former president. Pretty cocky to ask Clarence Thomas to rush to judgment. His opinions suck balls when he takes his sweet-ass time. (laughs) And Samuel Alito has a whole deliberate system to reach his conclusions. He doesn't even like to start typing until he's just about to lose consciousness because of how painful the hooks have become. (laughs) (laughs) Wrote Smith, This case presents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy, whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office. That's prosecutor speak for... Listen, you right-wing legal freaks, I know you got into this game to chain women to gurneys and return coal to its rightful place in the hearths of public school chapels, but you can't believe that the president is a god king unbound by our laws, right? Right? Right. On the other hand, the justices deciding this question will be getting a ride from said former president to a party on Epstein's island. No, Epstein's not there anymore. It's owned by another rich maniac who once called Epstein a judgy prude. (laughs) That guy sounds like a real freak. The U.S. on Friday vetoed a U.N. resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza, which was backed by almost all other Security Council members. And sure, this may be functionally the same as vetoing a Change.org petition, but it looks much worse. There are 15 members of the U.N. Security Council, and the final vote was 13 to 1. The United Kingdom abstained, taking the same moral stance on a ceasefire as you do on a breadbasket. Bernie Sanders came out against a permanent ceasefire on Face the Nation Sunday after publicly supporting a humanitarian pause. I don't know how you could have a permanent ceasefire with Hamas, who has said before October 7th and after October 7th that they want to destroy Israel. They want a permanent war. I don't know how you have a permanent ceasefire with an attitude like that. He has a serious point about how a ceasefire can't be one-sided, but then he phrased it like ceasefire with that attitude, (laughs) which is regrettably hilarious. President Biden's approval rating for his handling of the Israel-Hamas conflict has declined slightly since October, with more than a third of Democrats saying Biden is showing too much support for Israel, and more than 75% of Republicans say Biden is showing too much support for his son. (laughs) (laughs) At Monday's White House Hanukkah party, President Biden told the attendees, were there no Israel, there wouldn't be a Jew in the world that is safe. 
added Biden in an ill-advised ad lib. Except Doug, of course. <laughs> I'd tell you I'd hide that guy in my attic in a heartbeat. <laughs> Quiet as a mouse, that Doug, and he doesn't eat much either. Love that guy. He'll sneak up on you, Doug will. Not saying Jews are sneaky. Oh, geez. This is a new cycle. It's a new cycle. Uh, it's happening. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? Would you read a book? Would you show up for a friend? I mean, maybe I'd hang out with a friend. I don't know if I would show up for a friend. Okay, good to know. (laughs) Good to know. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Yeah, we do, but at the same time, then you check your screen time on your phone and it's always like six hours a day. Mm. I feel like a lot of people running around playing busy, you know? Yeah. If you're on your phone for six hours, you could be less busy. You could be less busy. Just put your phone down. I'm I'm as guilty as anybody. That's what therapy's for. It helps figure out these problems. (laughs) Put down your phone for an hour during therapy. Yeah, you can't be on your phone during therapy. They hate it. (laughs) But they can't stop you. It's your hour. Anyway, the point is, everybody needs therapy. I need it. John needs it. Anyone else? Anybody else? (laughs) No, that's it. Just the two of us need it. Just the two of us. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash love it today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love it. Pod Save America is brought to you by Helix Sleep. How long have you had your mattress? For most people, it's probably time for an upgrade, Right. Well, Helix has exactly what you need. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Helix has models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they've got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. Uh, I have a Helix mattress in our guest bedroom. Mm-hmm. Every single person who stays with us says, that bed is so comfortable. Where'd you get it? You know what I say? Where do you say? Helix. I love my Helix mattress. I have a Don Lux. Don Lux. It's very comfortable. So Lux. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Wikihole on Wondery. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued, what was in Al Capone's vault, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia, but that's okay, because you can learn all about it on the new podcast, Wikihole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. We love Darcy. Love Darcy. And if you listen to Wikihole, you learn that is the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders how the hell did we get here. Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) 
Last week, the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania testified before Congress about how they are protecting their students from anti-Semitism. And sure, this may have looked like a crass opportunity for Republicans who tolerate raving anti-Semites in their own ranks to attack the elite universities they've been railing against for years, but that's because you're too cynical. During the hearing, <laughs> Maga Henchwoman and Lee Stefanik asked each president if calling for the genocide of Jews would hypothetically violate the college's code of conduct. It's like watching Wiley Coyote paint a tunnel on a wall and all the university presidents are there watching him paint it. And then each of them runs full speed directly into the wall. In one viral clip, Stefanik grilled Harvard President Claudine Gay on the pro-Palestinian protesters calling for intifada revolution, which Stefanik says is tantamount to calling for the genocide of Jewish people. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. In Arabic, intifada means struggle, but it's also a word closely and painfully associated with suicide bombings that took place during the second intifada in the early 2000s. I'm just grateful we have Elise Stefanik to guide us through these nuances. Each president in turn attempted to provide an answer that threaded the needle between protecting free speech on campus and responding to real-world anti-Semitic threats, but all ended up seeming evasive and lawyerly, which Stefanik exploited. Nerds, I understand you don't want to have to go talk to Congress. By the way, none of you had to they go. They didn't have to. Yeah. They weren't to subpoenaed. They were so they were, stupid. They just drove halfway across the fucking country to get smacked in the face. And do it so. They were so condescending while they do it. They were, she was like, yeah, I know what entifada means. Anyway, I'm going to resign this week. Like, <laughs> like these stupid, <laughs> stupid. Really bad decision. Really bad decision. If you see Elisa Fonick in a, in a party, you should leave. Like, I, like you shouldn't engage with her in a battle of wills, because unfortunately, even that little clip, it's like, it's over. Like, once she's walked you up to that, and you you were not prepared for Lee Stefanik, what could you do? I mean, just yeah, like watching it, you're like, okay, well, then what was even the point of this? Yeah, first of all, they'd been there for hours, and yes, second of all, it really is a when did you stop beating your wife situation. There's no, <laughs> once you're at the point where you're, like, negotiating the finer points of whether someone has called for genocide, uh, you're not winning, you know? yeah. And the headline, like, gay hates Jews. Like, that's optimal. Yeah. That's not what you want. No. <laughs> now, for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Number, yeah, gays yeah. Hate Jew, gay hates Jews. <laughs> yeah, bad for gays everywhere. The point is, if you're going to voluntarily sit for hearing like this, prepare some talking points, take a few deep breaths, and try not to step on your dick so hard, we're forced to cede moral ground to a Lee Stefanik. A maniac who echoed great replacement theory and once attacked Biden for providing formula to immigrant babies. Remember that? Remember when that was her problem? Because it was expensive. In her attempt to answer, Penn President Liz McGill replied, it's a context-dependent decision. And if there's anything Americans who only read headlines with your face under the word genocide understand, it's context. Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, said that when speech crosses into conduct, that violates our policies. So we can all agree that an active genocide against Jews on campus would be against the rules in the student handbook. So that's that's a place to start from. That's a place from which to build. Yeah. I tried to read the handbook and they had I it was they made it a little harder to find. Uh, wait, what do you mean? I went to when you <laughs> click on the link now to find the Harvard handbook, it, there's nothing on that page. And I feel like they're like, dig that down. <laughs> wow, the same as the, uh, the Bin Laden letter. <laughs> <laughs>
Actually, the code of conduct is just the Bin Laden letter. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. They well, they've already read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MIT president Sally Kornbluth said she hadn't heard any such calls on her college's campus, but that such rhetoric would be investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. But a casual kill the Jews in between classes. Come on, it's college. People are experimenting. <laughs> Once again, I would rather wax my eyebrows off than find myself aligned with a least fucking Stefanik. Roughly 700 members of Harvard's faculty signed letters supporting President Claudine Gay, calling the pressure on her to resign politically motivated, while another letter signed by Harvard students and alumni expressed no confidence in Gay's leadership. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Gay news. The thing about it, too, is it's like, this was a trap. It wasn't even a well-laid trap. Like, the trap wasn't even finished being built. It's a very crude trap. It's a crude trap. It's it has the word trap right on there. Were, yeah, there weren't a lot of leaves covering the mechanism. Where it's the bear trap with a, p- a pie on top. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh, but the pie. And what's the pie? The pie is, I prove Elise Stefanik wrong. I think that I was the know. pie. I think the, these, I think they were all like, we could wipe the floor with this woman. We're going to crush it. Uh, it's going to be like a, 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 a great day for the public humanities and, and higher education. And they just like, I, I do think though, like, I yeah, know. but I do think that there was a, there was, um there was a confusing part of this, which is, if you're a college president, if you're if you're dealing with campus politics, you've spent the last decade dealing with unfair attacks that your college is not open to intellectual disagreement or debate and that free speech is no longer safe on campus. And they didn't realize or they didn't fully countenance that actually none of these people care about free speech. Right. This was a debate where they were trying to prove that you were too solicitous too permissive of free speech. Uh, And so, because if you go look, actually, if you go look at like the Harvard student handbook, which I did, it says somewhere in there now something like speech that you might not like, that you might find concerning or distressing isn't necessarily against the rules, something like that. And like there is clearly have there has been a debate about that kind of thing. And Republicans have spun up cases where like that conservative judge was was, um, you know, harangued or or other conservatives have gone to bait like, you know, right wing Internet trolls have gone to campuses to bait student protesters to 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 get physical or, or make them feel unsafe, whatever. And so like that is the context, which is a Republicans trying to say, oh, if you say anything that runs counter to being pro trans, pro gay, uh, critical race theory, whatever thing they're focused on, um, then, then you're a bigot and it's not allowed, but you can be an anti-Semite. You can, you can say whatever you want about Jews because you don't care about Jews because you think of you, 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 you're anti-Semitic. Um, or you've allowed anti-Zionism to, to allow you to welcome anti-Semitism on campus. The other trap is, uh, they want to equate any legitimate or even illegitimate protest of Israel as being anti-Semitic, right? Like that's part of this too, because, Republicans just passed a resolution through the House that had a bunch of examples of terrible anti-Semitism unfolding in the United States and around the world. And then at the very bottom of that resolution, it says we resolve that anti-Semitism is anti-Semitism. And that one line uh, is enough to make it, I think, correctly anathema to a lot of progressives and Democrats and I think intellectually honest people who may find the view that Israel doesn't have a right to exist abhorrent, might find the anti-Zionist view um, historically unfounded or unfair or or biased or whatever. I think I'm probably one of those people, but who also believes it is possible to not support Israel while not being anti-Semitic. 
and they all were like, oh, that's what she's trying to do. Jump. I'm in. You know? It's just a fundamental, like, the unfortunate part that we're always constantly going to be in is, like, whatever topic it is, we care. And Republicans are only viewing it as a way to put it into their mechanism to get power. Like, so it's like, this was not, there. it, it, it to imp- to assume good faith in any part of this was the initial mistake. And then to come there and not understand, like you said, a crude trap, not understand that, like, Elise Stefanik doesn't care about any of this. So why are you putting yourself in front of her, knowing what she has said in the past, knowing what kind of person she is? She's just trying to be president. She's trying to be the first female president who will be a Republican. She will do anything. She will do anything to raise herself within the party to get Curry the favor of, say, a Trump or whatever. And this is why it's, like, so disgusting, right? Because, like, weaponizing anti-Semitism isn't wrong because there isn't anti-Semitism. It's wrong because there is anti-Semitism and it ought to be taken seriously. And at the same time, trying to equate anyone protesting against uh, violence in Gaza, which is abhorrent and morally indefensible, with uh, anti-Semitism is trying to do exactly what these conservatives have said liberals have doing have been doing for years, which is trying to make legitimate debate seem illegitimate. And by the way, also, if we paint the entire sweep of people from those who have legitimate questions of Israel's conduct, but recognize Israel's right to exist all the way to the world's worst and most despicable anti-Semites and bigots, if we paint that all as one group of people, what is that going to how does that help us? bring the people in, do the persuading we need to do to build a coalition, a bigger group of people who believe in peace and the humanity of both sides. It's just, it's so, it's so crass and, and cynical and gross. And the fact that these college presidents allowed themselves to be part of it, allowed themselves to become uh, uh, pawns in that little game is such a fucking blunder. Forget how much they fucked it up once they were in the hearing. You're right. Like the second they sat down in that room, they had they had lost the game. And like they and the fact that they all had people around them, that this was allowed to proceed, that like no one was able to see to the other side of this is a real indictment of them. And probably, by the way, means they're not up for this fucking job, too, because it's like you're 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 a college president in, in, in fucked up roast battle America 2020. I know it's like we're sorry that this is the way things are. I'm sorry that this way politics are truly, unfortunately, like you have to understand Congress is WWE. Like, it, like you are entering a performance for whether it's Donald Trump or Republicans or whatever. Like, you're entering a stage. And if you are going to act like it is an academic, like a boardroom or an academic space, it's like, oh, no. Yeah, you brought a knife to a folding chair fight. And they don't seem to understand that, like, Harvard, MIT, and Penn were not mistakes or coincidences or accidents. Those are, like, archetypical, like, paragons of what... American higher education is and could and should be on an international stage. And so for them to like show up in this way and say like the the students that were like training to be the elite that will run this country and the rest of the world share the ideology that we can't even like espouse coherently or like with any kind of cogent worldview, it just condemns the entire system of higher education, elitism, like they're, they're going after like a specific type of person. Yeah. And, and by the way, on top of all of this, there are Jewish students who legitimately feel concerned that that anti-Semitism is not treated in the same way as other forms of bigotry and who want to know that they're safe on campus and their concerns are real and valid, too. And so it's like they <laughs> there's just 
They succeeded on no. They they succeeded on no standard. They will be awarded zero points. And for a lot of people, including a lot of people that we work with at Crooked, they have a personal connection to what's happening in Israel, in Gaza, in the West Bank. One of those people is Ramsey Masri, who who works at Crooked, and we had a conversation about just how much of a toll this has taken to watch unfold and to feel so connected to it and to watch it be treated uh, with so much inhumanity. And so we wanted you to have a chance to hear from Ramsey directly about it. Uh, so Ramsey, hi. Hello. Hi, thanks for doing this. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been like over the last several weeks uh, uh, watching this unfold while also having family uh, that lives in the West Bank. Sure. I think, to John's point, I think it's easy to feel like this is something that's really far away. For my family, it's every day. It's like a black cloud that follows follows us. And I worry every day about my aunt and uncle who live in the West Bank. Um, it's tragic what's happening there, I think, for both peoples. I think the thing that we have to remember is that we we're cousins and our fates are intertwined. So the only path forward for both of our people is through love instead of hate. And I think it's easy to f identify with hate right now. I think there's a lot of reason to be angry, whether that's almost 20,000 people in Gaza dead or almost 8,000 children in Gaza dead. How many will be enough? How many will be enough to satisfy revenge or the anger of the people of either side or the people in countries far away and the way that they feel about it. Um, for us, it's personal. And even before October 7th, um, my aunt and uncle were driving down the highway at night um, in the West Bank and a car came up beside them and uh, sped past them and turned sideways in the road. Um, they had no choice but to stop. And so my aunt, she wears the hijab because she's Muslim and they saw that. Um, so they pulled out an AK-47, were about to mow them down. And the only thing that stopped was a car, a headlights on the horizon. Um, and this was before the seventh. So imagine what they're going through now. Um, their neighbors are getting mowed down in the streets. They can't get access to food or medicine. And they're in the West Bank, they're not in Gaza. Um, the humanitarian, the scale of the humanitarian disaster there is unconceivable to Americans. And I think we try to identify with it. We try to understand what it's like. But if you can't have clean drinking water, if you don't have access to food or medicine, if your children are dying and being bombed every day, if you can't sleep because the bombs are raining down on you constantly, what kind of life is that? The Holocaust was horrible. It does not enable a new generation of violence. It doesn't make it OK to turn Gaza into concentration camp and that's what it is and so I think we need to start identify we need to start bringing dignity to this conversation we need to start recognizing our common humanity and we need to say enough enough violence enough enough torturing each other and realize that we both have legitimate claim to the land we do the Jews were there in biblical times and before they have nowhere else to go they deserve to be there absolutely but so do my people. And I, I wish that we could start to rise above our hate. And I wish that we could start to see the ways that we're more similar than we are different.
One thing that you had said to me when we were talking about this was the ways in which being Palestinian has made you feel like a drawbridge and that that you're not always in charge of when you're up or when you're down. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, even now, it's I hate being on a microphone and this isn't something I would choose to do for myself, but I want to be a voice for my culture and it's written in my birth. Um, I'm I'm mixed race, so I'm half half Palestinian and half American, and I think you know I've been through dark periods when I've thought about ending my life, and I think the thing that keeps me here and the thing that brings me purpose is feeling like I can be a drawbridge between two cultures, between Americans and between Palestinians, because even my family overseas or Arab colleagues at other media organizations or people I know in the world think America wrong or right is a deeply evil place that deserves to you know whatever is coming to it whether that's in 2024 or beyond and i don't believe that i believe in the promise of america my dad immigrated here and achieved the american dream he's inspirational to me and to leave your culture um, and to come to a place that's so foreign and to marry into that culture and to raise mixed race kids is so courageous especially in the 80s and i think because I have the ingredients for both cultures inside me and the perspectives. And I have, you know, I practiced Ramadan as a kid and I understand Christmas and Western traditions. And I think being able to speak to both and to teach each culture, again, that we're more similar than different. I mean, Islam means peace. The Arabs I know in my life are the most hospitable people you'll ever meet. They treat total strangers like, um, like royalty. You go to their home and they will put a giant tray of food in front of you and when you're full they keep feeding you even when you say I'm full that's that is our culture and I think Jewish culture is similar yeah the food's not as good <laughs> uh, well Ramsey thank you for being willing to come and come on the show I know you hate doing this I, I just want people to know that I didn't make you do this no, no. it was my choice <laughs> okay it was my choice uh, and just I'm really glad that you're part of crooked and when you see like beautiful designs uh, on our podcast art, on merch, and, and across everything that Crooked does, uh, Ramsey is often the one responsible. And so we're really grateful to have your voice as a part of Crooked. And uh, now I think I'm going to make a joke about an astronaut eating a tomato. So that has to happen, too. Cool segue. Yeah. <laughs> and as promised, perfect transition complete. More than eight months ago, U.S. astronaut Frank Rubio was accused of eating a tomato grown in microgravity on the International Space Station after a tomato mysteriously disappeared, completely ruining the surprise of microgravity bolognese Rubio had planned for the crew. <laughs> Remnants of the tomato have now been found exonerating Rubio. Sadly, Rubio had already been given the death penalty, thwomped out the airlock while screaming and crying. Space law is pretty strict. What do the Thwomped. remnants of a tomato from eight months ago look like? I don't know. It must have like gotten under some sort of switchboard or something. Do you think somebody ate it and they're like, oh, I found this thing. It's probably the tomato. <laughs> like, all right, man. <laughs> and finally, a California hiker was rescued after spending seven hours trapped beneath a giant boulder estimated to weigh between 6,000 and 10,000 pounds. Thankfully, emergency responders were able to excavate the hiker from underneath your mom. <laughs> underneath your mom. Where, from underneath your mom. Where? From underneath your mom. From from underneath from underneath your mom. From under from underneath. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> from, from underneath your mom. From underneath your mom. From underneath your mom. I think I am still asleep. <laughs> Welcome to my dream. 
It's not good. From Sapphic underneath token. your mom. Sapphic, Sapphic, Sapphic token. Sapphic token. Sapphic token. And that's our show. See you sluts on Saturday. Bye, sluts. Bye, sluts. doom scrolling don't forget to follow us at crooked media on instagram and twitter you can also find love it or leave it on youtube for access to your favorite segments and other exclusive content and if you're as opinionated as we are consider dropping us a review finally you can join our friends of the pod subscription community for ad-free episodes exclusive content and a great discussion on discord plus it's a great way to get involved with vote save america so sign up today at crooked.com slash friends Love It or Leave It is a Crooked Media production. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett and Lee Eisenberg. Kendra James is our executive producer. Brian Semmel is our producer. And Malcolm Whitfield is our associate producer. Hallie Keeper is our head writer. Sarah Lazarus, Jocelyn Kaufman, Peter Miller, Alan Pierre, Will Miles, and Mohanad Al-Sheikhi are our writers. Evan Sutton is our editor. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis provide audio support. On the road, Vendelin von Schroeder is our tour manager. Stephen Cologne is our audio engineer. And Milo Kim is our videographer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Bernardo Serena for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and to our digital producers, Zuri Irvin, David Tolls, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote for filming and editing video each week so you can. It's love it or leave it. All right, I think we have, that's something. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's not nothing. Yeah. All right, what time is it? It wasn't the laugh, right? It usually 11.40? All right, we gotta go. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.